this. So I remember most. All right. Our first reading today, the book of Job. Job is complaining. If you ever read the book of Job, it's one gigantic complaint. And the reason is, Job was the most holy man on earth. And because of his holiness, God had rewarded him with incredible wealth. All right. And Satan goes to God and says to God and says, hey, I can beat any one of your human beings on earth. Um, And uh, God says, yes, that's true, except for one, Job. Job is too holy. You can't beat Job. And Satan says, well, let me try. And God says, okay, you can do anything you want to Job, except you can't take his life. So Satan is all excited. He gets to go hurt Job and a lot of other people. So he goes and he takes the life of Job's wife and he takes Job's, the life of Job's children and he has all of Job's livestock and property taken and stolen from him. So Job is left now destitute without a home, any property or anything else, no family, etc. And then Satan smites him with boils and all kinds of physical problems and so he's just a mess, a complete mess. All right, so then Job starts complaining, and he complains about, oh, life is drudgery, and this is where this picks up. Life is a drudgery. And Job is saying, even at night, I'm trying to sleep at night, and I can't sleep, and the dawn won't come, and it's just torture to lie there in the dark, you know, and you can't sleep, and, you know, every minute feels like 10, and this kind of thing. Anyway, the takeaway there is that in the end, Job will not curse God. And this is what Satan said. I could get anyone to curse you. And God said, you will never be able to get Job to curse me. So whereas he gets Job to do a whole lot of belly aching and complaining, which is not pleasing to God, Job won't cross that one last red line, which is to curse God. He won't do it. And then in the end, after Satan has failed, then God tells Satan, you're done now, and removes Satan from Job's life, and then restores Job's physical health to him, and then restores property to Job and all of these other things. And in the end, Job ends up with more property and possessions than he had before going in. Yeah, that's the story of Job. So, but this concept of suffering in this life, this, you know, I'm filled with restlessness until the dawn. Life is a drudgery. You know, it's, ah, jeez, what, what's the point of all of this? This piggybacks on our gospel today. And our gospel today, and this is something that most people are going to miss, is the drudgery that Jesus has to live. So our gospel begins with this. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Okay. On leaving the synagogue. What was he doing in the synagogue? Same thing I'm doing here. He's in the synagogue. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's got the Pharisees to deal with. These naysayers. and Whatever he's got going on. So he's working in the synagogue. Leaves there. Goes to Peter's house. Gets to Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law lay in bed sick. He cures her. She gets out of bed. She prepares dinner with, presumably with Peter's wife, etc. After dinner, it says... After sunset, let me see, that means it's dark outside now. The whole town is gathered at the door. They brought him all who were ill or possessed by demons. All right, he cured many sick of various diseases and drove out many demons. All right, so now he's working into the night too. He works in the day, has his dinner, has to cure the mother, goes outside, dealing with the whole town at the door through the night. All right, finally gets some sleep. 
It says, rises before dawn, still pitch black outside, gets up, goes out into the wilderness to go pray. Okay, so he's out there praying. And who follows him? Simon, Andrew, James, and John are looking for him. And they're out there and they find him. And they ask him, everyone is looking for you. So as moms, you you get that, you know, when your little two or three-year-old is hunting you down in the house and they go, Mom, what, what are you doing, Mom? What are you doing? Which means, Mom, will you spend some time with me? Will you pay attention to me? And that's what they mean by it. Uh, uh, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Like, what's going on? You spend some time with us? So Jesus says, okay, listen, we, I, I've got to go into the nearby villages and we're going to preach and teach and do all that. And so off they go. So this is his life. His life is just this relentless life of ministry. Just relentless life of ministry. Where is his reward? Well, his reward is, is in the kingdom to come, is where his reward is. And that's where Job's real reward is, too. In remaining faithful to God, he has a reward waiting for him he's unaware of. Remember, in the Old Testament, they're not aware of heaven. Job is not aware that heaven exists. He's going to remain faithful to God to the bitter end, even though there's no reward for it in his mind. But he will be rewarded. He's not aware. I have a secret. Remember when you were in seventh grade or thereabouts or something, somebody's got a secret. So I've got a secret I can't tell you. And then you're like, what, what, what? You kind of keep following this, this pure around. What's the secret? What's the secret? So-and-so likes so-and-so. But don't tell anyone. All right, all right. Sort of thing. I got this secret. My cats, if one of them finds something, a, a rubber band or a, a spider that crawled across the car, they put it in their mouth and they, they go and do their thing with it. And then the other one is utterly just transfixed and they, they go and they're like, ooh, 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 can I have that? Can I share? And they just keep, kind of keep falling around. The other one's like, no, it's my thing. Here's the thing. Is that I got a secret. I, I'm aware of something. And the awareness is the glory of God and the kingdom to come. St. Paul in the second letter to the Corinthians is very aware of this and he speaks to it. And this is what puts Jesus' nonstop life of toil and drudgery in his three years of public ministry and Job's life of drudgery and our life of drudgery in context. He's saying this, If I preach the gospel, there's no reason for me to boast, for it's an obligation that's been imposed upon me. Woe if I do not preach it. In other words, God has given him something and he has to share it. And if he doesn't, then God's going to be mad. What's the analogy? Think of those stewards who are given talents. One, ten talents, another, well, one, five talent, another two talent, and another one talent. The one with five and two go and do something with the talents, all right? And the one with one, the master comes back and says, where's the talent? And the one with someone says, I buried it in the ground. I knew you were demanding man, and I, I didn't want to lose it, so here it is back. And he says, oh, you wicked man. I gave that to you not to bury it in the ground, but for you to do something constructive with it, or at least try. And then they bind this man and cast him into the outer darkness and take the one talent that he had and give it to the guy who I gave five to, kind of thing. In other words, you and I have been given talents. You and I have been given life itself. Not to be taken for granted, but it's there for a reason. And the reason is not just merely our own happiness and pleasure. It's ultimately to serve God. 
Paul goes on to say, If I do so willingly, I have a recompense, but if unwilling, then I have been entrusted with the stewardship. What does he mean by this stewardship? This is what he's saying. I have a right to be paid for preaching and for all of my ministry and toil. I have a right to that. But St. Paul says, I'm not going to demand my right. I'm not going to demand it. If I demand my right, then I'm serving as a steward. And here's the thing with the steward. is The steward is getting paid for what he's doing now. So the steward has been placed in charge of the household. And he gets, I don't know, 5% of whatever the profit margin is or something. He gets his reward in this life. But he's saying, but I have a recompense. Something greater than a steward. And he, he asked the question, what then is the recompense? That when I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And he's going on to say, I become a slave of all to win over as many possible. I become weak so as to convert the weak, etc. I become all things to all people. I pour myself out and I receive nothing in return in this life. And St. Paul can truly say that. He says, I've been shipwrecked twice. I've been stoned two, three times. I've been whipped in the public square multiple times. People have slandered me. They have attacked me and assaulted me, spit on me, the whole bit. And at the end of his life, he'll be decapitated. For what? The answer is, for the glory to come. For Paul and for others. And Paul doesn't go through life complaining either, nor does Jesus. They don't. They understand in a profound way what's coming. And what's coming eclipses everything else in this life. If you and I will take the drudgery of our lives, whatever that drudgery might be, and probably most of us feel it when we wake up in the morning. We wake up and we're oh, groggy and tired and weak and have to get up and then the whole day is laid out in front of us and uh, where's that cup of joe and these guys weren't drinking coffee either all right they didn't even have that okay so we, we're just like oh but what if we could get up and go for the glory of god for the glory of god for love of my neighbor i have enough faith to know lord that you have not betrayed me that whatever I do for love of you and of my neighbor, you will reward me a millionfold if, if I don't demand payment in this life, if I don't demand to be praised and thanked for it, if I don't demand to be consoled with money and vacations and new things and whatever, if I just forfeit all of that for now, for a glory to come, And I thank you for all of it now. Then I trust that great things will come. Stupendous things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. So when you find yourself serving the Lord by loving your family member, your spouse, your child, your grandchild, who's difficult in this moment, or just having to pay the bills which you don't like to do, or do the housekeeping and cleaning and ordering of your home and your bedroom and your office and all the cleaning the car and the stuff you don't like to do and all that and you're offering all that up to God and you're not complaining at all and you're giving it to God 
And then, then great things are happening. You can't see it, but they're happening. They're happening. I think Paul had an idea when he was alive of the greatness that was happening while he was alive. And he thought, maybe a little beyond my life. But did he realize he would literally be writing half of the New Testament? Did he realize that 2,000 years later, people were still being saved from the fires of hell because of Paul's sacrifices 2,000 years ago? Are you aware of the good that God is using you for when you serve him without complaint, selflessly in love of him and neighbor? It's doing way more good than any of us can see. Truly. So, life might be a drudgery. It might be. But live it with a smile on your face and with thanksgiving to God that you can offer Him suffering, that you can give Him something that He can see is hard for you to give. And know full well that He has a crown of glory waiting for you. And for so many others, if only you would serve him without the complaining and ingratitude.